0: It's been said, if you want to change a culture, you do it through storytelling. And I don't know about you, but I've just been um, enjoying the series of just hearing the different stories of our, of our staff, of, of the people we love, and, and people's testimonies that um, I have never even heard of some parts of it. So I've just been super excited about that. And today you get to hear a little bit about my story. If you don't know who I am, uh, my name is Pastor Juan. I'm one of the pastors here at Forest Lake Church. I'm the young adult pastor. Uh, most of the time you'll see me preaching over at the Warehouse Community, which is over in the Schmidt Auditorium for now. Um, but this is where I grew up. I grew up in, in this church. Um, I won't give you all the details, you'll get some later on. Uh, but I remember sitting in that corner right there specifically um, as, a, as a young kid and it's always just great to see this house, this place full of people who are just wanting to fall more and more in love with Jesus. Parents we're in full swing, you heard it mentioned earlier. It is now, school is in session and some of you have been dropping off kids in college. Uh, Others you've been taking them to their first day of middle school. For me it's kindergarten. We made the transition from pre-K to kindergarten and I am just heartbroken to see my child growing so fast. Although she's not Adeline is not in, in college yet, there is still a piece of me that is a little bit sad because she's gone from playing in pre-K to now bringing home homework and things to do. And so now the game is on and she has to report and, and attendance matters a little bit more and there's a little bit more of a responsibility and as I sit there and I, I look at her, I just can't believe how fast she's growing and she's only in kindergarten. So I feel your pain for those uh, who are sad, and for those of you who are happy that you're empty nesters, congratulations. Maybe I will be there one day, but um, for right now, I'm experiencing a little bit of the, that transition so I resonate with you. Adeline is at Fleece, and um, she was there for, for pre-K, and, and as I got her ready for her first week of school and, and, and prepared her and, and started thinking about her journey through kindergarten, um, I realized that she's in the same class, the same classroom that I was in when I was in kindergarten. Still smells the same. It's not a bad smell. <laughs> I, love, I love fleece. But it's a smell that brings you back. And, and, and the tile is still the same, this new carpet and new paint, so it looks really nice. But as I walk in there, there are certain memories that are brought back because of, of the smell, because of where you are and, and watching Um, your kid do the things that you did. And I remember having one really, um, a a toy that I really loved. And that was a fake plastic round pizza. I was obsessed with this thing. I don't know why, probably because I was, I loved pizza as a child and I ate it all the time. I still do. Um, But I wanted this thing during the day to just be real because I wanted to eat this pizza. And I remember that 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 toy being in the kitchen area, and Adeline has one of those in her classroom. And so there are certain memories that I affiliated myself with and, and associated myself with when she went into that classroom. Maybe there are things in your life that you go back to, or a song, or a smell, or, a, or, or some experience or a person that brings back a vivid memory or an experience. You see, in our childhood, there are things that we go through and there are lessons that we learn. There aren't many lessons that I remember as a child except for the ones that my Hispanic father would remind me of. And, and um, Louis, you, you got me like really um, scared for a second when you pulled out that belt because I remembered my childhood and the lessons that I learned. But there are lessons that you learn and, and as I'm getting out of line ready for school and as she's going there, I thought about what are some of the lessons that I remember, the do's and the don'ts, the things that I got in trouble for, the, the, the teacher or the principal that would, would typically um, tell us what we did wrong and, and some of the writing things that we had to do, write our name a thousand times or whatever it was. There are things that we remember. But growing up, I also thought about my childhood. And I would say I, I had a pretty good childhood. Um, my parents, I, I have two amazing, spiritually Jesus-driven parents who cared and loved, and um, a, a sister who, it's her birthday today, and she's 11 years older than me. I won't tell you how old she is, but if you know how old I am, you can probably figure out how old she is. But she was pretty much out of the house during a lot of my Elementary and middle school years because she had grown up and she was living on her own and I kind of liked it I liked getting everything that I wanted from my parents. It was it was a it was a good Childhood and and I, I I specifically remember one of the lessons as a child specifically in school when I pushed a kid and the 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 fear that was in me when I was wondering what was going to happen to me. Apart from that, I couldn't really remember many lessons. And it wasn't until later in life that I recall and remember a very specific lesson. And that lesson was about obedience. If we went around this room today and I were to ask you to define what obedience means to you, now those definitions, they, they would vary quite a bit based upon your, your life experiences, the way you were taught that, and, and, you know, every definition would be just a little bit different, but I would bet that most of us would define it as something sort of revolving around discipline, doing what you're told, Um, yes sir, yes ma'am, whatever it is, it's usually revolved around words like discipline, like respect, That is how we define some form of obedience. If you grew up in church, like I did, that word was usually associated with honor your father and your mother. When you were talking about being obedient, that was the first thing that you were taught, is you you should obey your mother and your father. It's one of the lessons that we learn when we are in Sabbath school. But when it comes to your calling, your identity, your purpose, your belonging obedience is a direct commitment to fulfilling your purpose you see those are the three things that as we grow up from middle school high school into college into our young adult life we want to know who we are how we can make a difference and where do we fit in our identity our purpose our belonging we ask those questions and we begin to to struggle and wrestle with what is really our identity. The lesson I learned was on obedience. See, the question when we struggle and we wrestle with the idea of our identity, of, of, our, of who we are, the question shouldn't really be the what, the who, or the where, but the why. To the person who's new to church, your question should be your why. Why are you here? Why are you put on this earth? Because your why is what matters the most. Paul had just reached the sermon about the unknown God in Acts 17. I was privileged and, and lucky enough to visit Greece in college. And we went to visit the site where Acts 17 was actually preached. And, and the, the tour guide told us specifically that, that Paul picks this spot. And it's almost as if it were like this where he's on a rock and there's these philosophers down below. And you have the people who are coming to listen to Paul in front. And the tour guide said he, he specifically chose this spot because here when he spoke it was projected down below and he wanted the philosophers to hear what he was saying because in that time there's a lot of ideas that are stirring up. People are trying to make meaning of life and make meaning of, of their situation so these philosophers are creating these ideas and thoughts. And here Paul is talking about the unknown God, the one who is to come. And, and, and as he's, he's doing this, he strategically puts himself in a place for both of them to hear. And in the midst of all that, because there are opposing ideas and thoughts, Paul faces resistance. And he has a hard journey. If you read through Acts, you'll see the, the persecution, the ups and downs that each person who was spreading the gospel had to endure. And here Paul faces opposition and resistance. And he's at a crossroads. And we pick the story up in Acts 18 verses 9 through 11. And it says this, Now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision. Do not be afraid, but speak, and do not keep silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to hurt you, for I have many people in this city see paul is at a crossroads previously in in acts 18 the original language tells us that he's he's in his home and he's laying down and he's struggling with his calling his effectiveness his worth is if what he's doing is actually working he's afraid and through his obedience he comes to jesus and he wrestles and he's open and he says I'm confused, there's opposition, should I just get up and quit now? I don't know about you, but it's the moment when I lay down and I go to sleep that all the questions and ideas and things I have to do just start stirring up. The things that I didn't get to do that day, the things that I have to do. And we live a life that's so reactive. We get up, we do our routine, and we check our email or our text, and then we start reacting to the things that people need that we forget to do the things that we planned. And so it's for me, when I lay down, my mind just starts going a million miles an hour. And then I just, I can't sleep because of the things I have to do for our girls and for the house, for work, whatever the case may be. And it's in that moment of my laying down that I resonate with Paul. Because it's in those moments that, at least for myself, that we begin to question everything at some point in our life through our lowest moments. My father, um, he's building a house there. My mom and dad, they're uh, building their second house. They did one years ago. They sold that and now they want something smaller because they're getting older and they don't want something with a second floor. And I remember all of the hurdles that my dad had to go through as he subcontracted their old house. And I knew when he was going into this one that it was probably going to be the same thing. And if you're part of any construction project, or maybe you're renovating your house, you know how hard it has been over the last few years to get materials to, you know, not eat, just deal with the city that you're in, the county. So I'm cutting my, my dad's hair, and um, he's telling me all the challenges and how he had to take the plans back to the architect like three or four times to get it approved by the city and this. I mean, it's just problem after problem after problem. And I said, Dad, how do you sleep at night? And he gave me the secret. Are you ready? If you're struggling with how to sleep at night, this is what he said. He said, I close my eyes. Not helpful at all for me. And that's just the person he is. He doesn't let anything from his day bother him. He can just go right to bed no matter what is going on. The world could be burning and he is going to sleep. He does it after we eat on Sabbath for lunch. Kids are running around screaming. He's knocked out on the couch. He has a spot where he goes and everyone knows That's where he goes to sleep, it doesn't matter, he will go to sleep. But I'm more like Paul. When I lay down, I begin to wrestle and struggle and and wonder what it is that I'm actually doing, the things that I need to do, and in my lowest of lows, even questioning, why am I even here? I'm teaching my children about obedience. For right now, it's simply doing what mom and dad ask of them. But the other part, in obedience, if we are in, in a relationship, part of obedience is also having the vulnerability and the transparency to communicate your feelings. And that's the hard part that we're trying to teach, at least Adeline, as she's a little bit older. See, Paul was being transparent with God and God in return, and in return he says, do not fear. Paul was facing so much opposition that you could say that this was the harder road for him. Obedience is not simply an act of receiving direction, but it is also an act of returning honesty and transparency in a relationship. That is part of what we are called to when we are called to obedience. All signs for Paul from the outside observer would tell you he should just give it all up. This road is too hard. He's going through way too much. And he's feeling those effects as he's lying down and and, and having it out with God. And in his act of transparency, God makes himself known and he says, do not fear. And as a result, Paul stays in there for another year, over a year. It was the most vulnerable and honest moment that God showed himself to Paul and it it is through our most vulnerable and honest moments that God shows himself to us. It's in our openness that God makes himself available. Our obedience is the invitation for God to make a difference in our messed up lives. It's in our story, right in the middle, Where all of the chaos happens, that's where God is most real. I like this story so much because it reminded me of myself. Lost, confused, discouraged, really no direction in my life, making bad decisions. My faith was tested, it was depleted to the point of questioning the existence of God himself. It is through command and obedience that we live out our calling. You can't fulfill your purpose and know your why in life without choosing to ignore the voice of God. I had decided that I wasn't going back to Southern. Backtracking a little bit, I had graduated high school and I had applied for UCF and so that was the easiest decision. I didn't want to leave home and so I... I got in and I actually, I messed up the application. And I put summer because like August is summer, so I applied for August. I mean for summer. Well, little did I know that summer in semesters in college meant May. So Saturday was my graduation, Monday I was starting college, I had one day of summer. And I go from this small school to a school of 55,000 people. UCF at the time used to stand for two things one was you can't finish and if some of you are alumni you may know what I'm talking about but there were so many students that you couldn't even get the classes you needed to get the courses done to graduate so students had to stay longer and it went by seniority the other thing it stood for was under construction forever because there was no parking at all and I remember getting up super early I used to live here in, in Apopka driving down 436 all the way to university till the end of that road to get to ECF, and I would get there an hour before my class just to fall asleep in my car for a little bit longer to get on my bike to go to class. If not, then the idea is you get there but you have to follow someone to their car like the creepiest thing ever. Or you say, hey, I'll give you a ride to your car and then you take their spot. I mean, that, that's how it worked and for me, I mean, it was, I was not used to that at all, going from 25 people in my class to 500 and people passing around microphones to ask a question, and I, I, was, I wasn't going to do that. And my first class was a, a psychology class from an atheist professor. You want to talk about getting your faith challenged, take that as your first college class. And so I remember just going through that and kind of starting to ask questions, but I I still felt this call to to maybe God is calling me to ministry. And it wasn't until later on in my second semester that we were visiting a friend, a a couple of us drove up to Southern. And this friend of mine was studying theology at the time, and we go visit. And it didn't take long for me to know that that is where God wanted me to be. So the next week, I make the decision, get ready for that semester, which I now knew what my my semesters meant, summer, winter, fall. I knew that. So I knew I was going to start in the winter semester. And I remember going through that year just kind of knowing this is where God had wanted me but also kind of taking it for granted. And I met a girl named Vanessa who's now my wife there my, my first semester and hallelujah. But. After that semester, I felt like I had it under control and almost to the point where I said, you know what, I don't think I'm going to go back to Southern because I just don't know. I want to be, I want to be home. So I, I called Vanessa and that was the, 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 one of the most difficult conversations to tell her that I wasn't going back to Southern, but we'd make it work and I had prearranged flowers to be sent to her that day because I didn't want her to be sad. And that was when things began to unravel slowly I began to push faith and life away and kind of think that I had it all under control. I remember working at what was Florida Hospital Altamont as a transporter at the time. And one morning as I'm just not really engaged in the community or in church and really just kind of losing my sense of purpose, I remember driving down 436, there used to be a bally's on the left if you're coming from here that's where if you couldn't afford rdv you went to bally's and then there was a home depot on the right i think it's still there they moved it but i remember driving through there and right on that road at 6:45 in the morning i say god i need you to show me that you exist today because i don't think i don't know if you do first time i've ever really questioned the existence of God, but I knew there was still a part of me that had to be obedient to this Creator and be vulnerable and be honest. If He existed, He had to show me. So later that day, I'm working transportation, and I take this man — his name is Christopher — in this wheelchair, and he's in dialysis. Now, if you know anyone who's in dialysis or who, who has that treatment, before they go, they're not in a great mood. Um, their energy is low, they're not really talkative, but this guy was talking his head off. Like, I mean, just going, just the happiest guy. And I'm like, are you sure you need this right now? And he gets in my chair and he just starts going off about just a bunch of different things. And then he asks me if I go to church. And I'm like, I used, in my head, I'm like, well, I used to, I don't know if I'm going again, but the right thing to say is, yeah, I go to church. And he starts talking to me about just spiritual stuff. and how he's a Christian, and I'm dropping him off, and he says, you know what, I'd like to visit your church. And one thing led to another, and he has my number. So I gave him my number, and I go home that day, and still Vanessa and I are doing the long-distance thing, and as any good um, 19-year-old, you just stay on the phone, and you just stay quiet, and just listen to each other breathe, because, like, that's what you do. So we talk about some stuff, and then it's just, like, it's quiet, and all of a sudden... It's like 9 35 at night and i get a phone call and i'm like no way i say hold on and vanessa knows what i'm going through and kind of understanding my my situation and he's like hey it's christopher and i'm like oh hey and i said here it is he's gonna ask me for a ride to school i mean to church and uh he kind of telling me that he got discharged and he's i'm like get to the point he's like saying some other stuff and i'm like okay i know something's coming And he says, you know, what I didn't tell you was I used to be a pastor, and I got sick. And he said, and when God has something for me to tell somebody else, He doesn't let me go to sleep. And so I need to tell you that whatever it is you're going through, that He's here, He's alive and He's present in your life. He knew nothing about my situation, I didn't say a word, and here I am just having that moment that I've, I've heard stories about, people talk about, it was happening to me. I forget Vanessa's on the other line, switch over, she's off the phone. So I call her back and I'm like, you cannot believe what happened. And so here I am laying down again and saying, I have felt this call to ministry, to to work for you. I'm not questioning if you exist, but now you got to give me another sign. I'm one for one. Let's try this again. This is Friday night. And I say, God, if you exist, you need to give me a call, give me an opportunity. Sabbath rolls around, nothing happened, he was resting. <laughs> Sunday morning, 9.30 a.m., I get a call from a person who I hadn't met, or hadn't seen in over seven months, and he says, hey man, how's it going, how's, how are you and Vanessa? And I told him a little bit about where I was in life and kind of back home, and he's like, you know, I'm pastoring in Oklahoma, and I have just been thinking about you and Vanessa all week. And we met, and we want, to have, we want to hire an intern youth pastor for the summer at our church, and I want to extend that invitation to you. At this point, I'm outside on my phone. I'm walking down my long driveway. I had made a left, and I couldn't even see my house anymore because I was just walking in a straight line. Couldn't believe what had just happened. To make a long story short, three days later, my dad comes and says, hey, Pastor Mark at, at Forest Lake Church saw me and asked about you, and asked if you want to help him lead high schoolers to teach Bible studies. I still remember that acronym, it was SOAP, Scripture, Observation, Application, and Prayer. The next day my aunt, who doesn't know my situation, says, hey, the board met and they want to have an intern pastor this summer, would you be interested? Three calls in five days. Nonetheless, I decided to stay here, invest in some high school kids, and from there it's history. But those moments in my life, the lessons I learned through my obedience, I go back and I look at. The moments in my, in my, my, my lows in life, I remember where God was most real. In the moments that I struggled through and, and didn't know my future, my identity, my purpose, my belonging, as I laid down, God made Himself known. Here's the thing. There are some of you who have prayed that prayer, and maybe you've heard that voice, or maybe you're in a moment of chasing something else. I'm a young adult pastor, so I'm gonna talk to the young adults for a second. Don't chase that girl or that boy because they're going somewhere. Stay true to what God's called you to. Stay obedient, stay transparent. Be honest and open with your Creator, God that tug on your heart for something different, it's real. I felt that for so long and I pushed it aside, so much so that I began to question if God even existed. But even then, he was real. Even then, he made himself known to me. Maybe you're the one who says, well, I'm just gonna go with what culture is doing. And the problem is, is we've let culture have a greater influence than our creator. Culture has become a greater influence than our creator God. It's our obedience to God, our transparency, our return to Him and our obedience that delivers us. Obedience is the invitation for God to do something amazing in our lives. It was out of obedience that Paul moved forward, even though he had some doubts and some fears, but it was that raw, authentic relationship where God said do not fear for I am with you out of obedience comes action and out of action comes results and those results are a direct reflection of our purpose so what's God calling you to be obedient to can you trust him Paul knew the consequences of listening to God the consequence was a group of people that wanted to cancel him It didn't faze him because he knew his allegiance. It wasn't to a man, but to a king in a kingdom. Our commitment to Jesus is so powerful that it in itself will begin to shape the people around us. Do you want to make a difference in this world? I'm a millennial, I've said it before, I want to change the world. I want to make a difference. The difference is your story. The difference is what Jesus is going to do to your life. The difference is that story that you tell. Listen, obey, walk with Jesus. No matter how far apart you think you've gone or drawn away, he's still there. His goodness and his mercy follows us all the days of our life. So many times I found myself in places I feel like I didn't belong, much like Paul. And many times I feel God saying, that's right where I want you to be. So Paul, in his obedience, moves forward not knowing what's going to happen. If it's anything like before, he's going to endure some pain from this point moving forward. He knows it's not the easy road. And I don't know what my future looks like. And I can't speak for years, but I knew, do know the end result. And that end result is Jesus wins every time. Amen. To make it personal, his love found me with regret as deep as the ocean, confused, lost. Those lists of regrets would run into eternity if I let it. But through it all, I knew what was required of me, my obedience, my allegiance to my creator, And through my openness and my obedience, he saved me and he put me on his shoulder. The wandering sheep came back home. So, what's my story? My story is Jesus. I wouldn't have a story if it wasn't for him. We wouldn't have a story to tell if he didn't pay the price that day. If you want to make a difference, tell your story. If you haven't met Jesus yet, make the invitation. If you want to change the world, tell your story. If we want to influence our community here at Forest Lake Church, then it is our job to share our story, to live the gospel in our community. It's in our mission to share the story of Jesus. May we live as a church in submission to Jesus knowing that whatever may come our way, we can step in faith through obedience and through the confidence that we have in him. My story is he saved me. My story is Jesus. May that be the prayer, the story that we tell for the rest of our lives until he comes back for us again.